I want to thank a Sunday school class, the Shore Greeno Rutledge Sunday school class. They volunteered this year to put up all of our Christmas decor, and I think they did a wonderful job. Let's thank them for their hard work. The ladies were up here for quite some time. Uh, Lottie Moon is the offering we take every December. Every dollar that we get for Lottie Moon goes to support missionaries overseas. Southern Baptists have missionaries around the world year year round, and this is the time that we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas, Christmas offering. If you want to do that, there are special envelopes in the pew back in front of you. Finally, Brother David is not here this morning. We have a picture. I think the team arrived in Anchorage on Thursday. This was when they were in the airport. Um, they served at the outreach event last night. I have not heard from them because when they got done, it was past my bedtime. Um, but this morning, Brother David will be preaching at Christ Community Church. Uh, so just in a few hours, he'll be preaching. So pray for him as well. But pray for that team. They'll be traveling home tomorrow and will be home tomorrow evening. Let's pray as we continue in worship this morning. Lord God, we pause right now and just ask that you would join us in this place. Lord, give us pause so that our hearts might be tuned to yours. Lord, as we sing of your glory, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. As we open your word today, speak to us by the power of your spirit. Be glorified in this place. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're so glad that uh, you chose to worship with us today, and I'd like to personally invite you and your closest 50 friends uh, to be here next Sunday night. We'd love for you to do that so that we can celebrate the birth of our Savior, but also the story that began out of that night, his life, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. And we're going to be singing these Christmas carols all throughout December. And I hope that your heart is blessed and that we can worship him in spirit and in truth together. So why don't we stand? Why don't you welcome someone to Luke 418 Fellowship today as we sing. Has become flesh. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that is our Savior. Josh, would you lead us?
done for us and how he is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us today. We're so thankful that he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Let's sing this together. Your only Son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your And to 
so much for your sacrifice, and we pray that the whole world would hear that good news, that you have brought us from death to life today, that you chose a criminal's cross and a cruel end so that you might take on the sins of the world and be resurrected to life, to give us life and life abundantly. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are completely in awe of you today, of who, who you are. You are everything. You are that good shepherd that leads us by still waters and in the green pastures, Lord. Psalm 23 tells us that you set a table before us in the midst of our enemies, Lord. We know that you have us in the palm of your hand. Lord, we thank you for being our wonderful Savior, taking on that which we deserved. And Lord, we pray today that we would just recognize how you are our eternal King, that you will reign forever and ever. Amen. And that there will be no end to your dominion, that everything has been placed under your feet. Lord, so as we begin with focusing on your, your birth, Lord, that we would reflect on that gospel message every time that we make a decision. We pray that every desire that's in our hearts today would be of you and that we would submit everything under your feet because it's rightfully there. We love you, Lord. You're our King of kings. You are the one who will reign forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. Well, this morning's message is going to be a little bit different than what I would normally do. I prefer to take a passage and walk verse by verse, but this morning the Lord has uh, kind of us jumping all around. So I'll try to keep up and we'll see if y'all can do the same. Um, it's estimated the, uh, that the average adult makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. That's a lot of decisions, right? Some of them are very minor. Some of them we don't even recognize that we're making. And some of them are big and important decisions. Wear my blue suit today. Wear my black suit. Wear socks. Don't wear socks. Speed up at the yellow light or stop at the yellow light, right? The different levels of importance. But we make lots and lots of decisions. Everybody goes about the decision-making process differently. We're all wired differently and we all do things in different ways. Some people make a... a for a big decision, you'll make a list of the positives and the negatives, and you'll compare those and try to make your decision that way. Uh, this new generation will post on Facebook a, a, a poll, you know, everybody vote, which, what do you think, and get everybody's opinion, and so they can make the decision that way. Um, Brother David is in Alaska today. Uh, it reminds me of when we were there this summer. I don't know if I've shared this with y'all or not, but we were in Alaska over the summer on the mission trip, and we found ourselves at 1130 at night going to Walmart. We had to buy a birthday card, and that was the last thing we had to do. Now, 11.30 at night is way past my bedtime. Uh, it was past Brother David's bedtime, and here we were trying to make a decision for a birthday card. I walk up, pick up the very first card that I found. I said, here you go. It says, happy birthday. Let's go. He said, how much does it cost? <laughs> it's it's two forty nine, Pastor. Let's go. No, no, no. There's a 99-cent section. <laughs> Brother David, it's 11.30 at night. I'll give, you, I'll give you $2 if you'll let me go home. No, no, it's here. It's somewhere close. He walks up and down three aisles. And he comes back around the corner. He was so proud of himself. It was the 98-cent card. It's <laughs> like, so, Brother David, let's go. We all make decisions differently. My wife, for instance, when we go to lunch, hopefully this afternoon, will narrow the menu down to a couple of items and then wait to ask the waiter, what would you, do, what would you recommend between these two? And no matter what he says... That's what she'll order. If I could only figure out how he does that, we would be in great shape. We all make decisions differently. Today, I want to talk about what affects how we make our decisions. Obviously, there's many things that factor into how we make our decisions. But today, I want to look in Scripture and, and look at some examples of Scripture so that we can make proper adjustments to be certain that we're making decisions based on God's Word. One thing that affects our decisions is our busyness. 
Now, we all find ourselves in the holiday season, and there's lots going on. There's Christmas parties. I'm, I got invited to a Christmas party this morning. There's just our calendar gets more and more complicated as December goes on. At our house, it, we've resorted to a dry erase system, a calendar on the, on the refrigerator with color codes and everything so we can know who has to be where because there's, there's a lot that's happening. We get really, really busy in life. Some of you, uh, we've, we, we, I asked this morning, you know, how how you been doing? Oh, busy, 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 man. We're just so busy. Um, I read a quote from Donald Whitney, and I found it sadly true. In our frustrating and futile efforts to keep up with the demands of life maintenance, our souls have shriveled. We have more tasks, more activities, more deadlines to accomplish than ever. We have more to organize, more to store, and more to maintain than ever. And the result is that we're becoming increasingly efficient at leading meaningless lives. Our culture views being busy as something of importance, as a compliment. The busier you are, the more status you have, the more important you must be. And this cycle creates a, a constant business which left unchecked pulls us away from the Lord. We all understand that on, on some level. We all can get carried away with the circumstances of our daily life. And we have to maintain. We do have to cut the grass. We do have to do the dishes. We do have to get the kids ready. All of these things do have to happen. But sometimes we get carried away with those. And the Lord is the thing that gets squeezed out of our day. Psalm 127 verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. At the end of the day, a checked off to-do list is only worth the heart that it was behind it. What I mean by that is that we have to decide what is of the utmost importance and put that at the most important thing on our list of things to accomplish that day. You see, God is not interested in how much we can do. He's interested in how closely we walk with him. His motive is always a thriving relationship with us. And when we put other things ahead of on our schedule, ahead of him, we're missing the point. We know from scripture, from the Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we put him first priority, all the other things that crowd into our lives, then we'll be able to give our best effort towards that which matters the most. In Ephesians chapter 5 we read, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful, make the most of your time, and understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the only way that we're going to be able to put our busyness into context scripturally and and, and put the Lord in the place that he desires. Another thing that affects our decision is distractions. I'm convinced that I was born 40 years too late, maybe 50 years too late. What I mean by that is I yearn for the simpler days. I yearn for a time when, when the pace of life was slower. I am old enough to remember leaving the house and not having a cell phone while I was gone. Having no idea who tried to contact us while we were gone. And arriving back at the house with no machine to tell me who called. No caller ID to tell me what I missed. We just went away as a family and we came home and we moved on. And I yearn for that kind of a thing. I could, I could spend the rest of our time talking about cell phones. And how I believe that the chaos and distractions that they bring into our lives. The enemy uses to keep us from the Lord. Over and over our phones are beeping to, to remind us to pull our attention to every notification, to every email, to every text, to everybody who's liked a post, to everything. And it pulls our mind back to this device and it pulls our mind away from whatever it is the Lord has for us in that moment. We, have, we can be misdirected by all kinds of things, right? Even good things can cause us to be consumed with and, and, and help us to, to miss the opportunity in front of us. Friendships, going to the gym, relationships, friends, uh, all kinds of things that we can get, make a priority in our life and sometimes make it too much of a priority. 
We're called to parent intentionally and we're called to parent biblically. But we can become so involved in investing in our dreams for our children and miss out on the fact of what the Lord wants to do in their lives in this moment. So most of you know, both of my boys have joined the Air National Guard. They're actually at drill this weekend. Over a year ago, William went off to basic training, and it was the longest eight weeks I've ever experienced in my life. Eight weeks of absolutely no contact. Eight weeks of not knowing if he was okay. And eight weeks of having no idea how he was doing. After that, he went to tech school. After that, he moved off to go to college, and he began to make all of these decisions. And this week is finals week, his first ever finals week. And I find myself so concerned about how he's doing because I, I want him to succeed so terribly. But much more do I need to be worrying about and, and, and praying for him to walk with the Lord Jesus and to hear from the Lord Jesus and to thrive in what God has for him. In, in all of my concerns about what his grade might be this week, the Lord loves him more than I do. The Lord knows his plan. And, and I've got to lay that down and, and allow the Lord to work that out. In Luke 10, we see a story that we're very familiar with. Beginning in verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into their home. She had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serving all alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary prized time with Jesus and gave her entire focus to being in his presence. And when Martha complained, Jesus gently reminded her where her focus should be, building a relationship with him. Yes, Martha was showing wonderful hospitality to Jesus and the disciples, but she had gotten lost up in the distractions of the day. Doing good in that moment was stealing her attention from Jesus and even, listen to this, letting bitterness come in. Right? Bitterness had, had, had come into her heart. It's time to stop rushing and worrying and being distracted from the most important thing that is Jesus and take a seat with Mary. We can set aside time each day and come before the Lord reading his word. But we can be focusing on him and walk in the fullness of him day. Praying continually. Walking in the spirit and acknowledging his presence moment by moment. He offers us peace in the middle of chaos and worries. His word says his grace is sufficient and his mercies are new every morning. Another thing that affects our decision is fear. We don't like to acknowledge fear. And I'm not talking about scared out of my boots or scared of clowns kind of fear. I'm talking about a a more everyday kind of fear. Right? Fear of missing out. We hear this from our children. But everyone else is getting one for Christmas. Right? But everybody else is going to be there. Well, I want to be with the, where everyone else is going to be. But God's word tells us that we're set apart, that we're to be different than the world. And so our, even in wanting to, to be where everyone else is, we can miss out on what the Lord has for us. We see it when we're shopping online. Have you ever been shopping for something and, and, and a timer pops up and says, This price is only good for the next 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, there's this intense anxiety of what am I going to do? If I don't do this, then I'm going to miss out and I'm going to have to pay more and I have to make a rash decision. Fear becomes part of our decision process when we put too much emphasis on I must figure this out. I must do this. My plan is, and, and, and we don't factor in God's word into the process, God's plan into the process God's promises for us in our decision making processes an example of this would be the familiar story of the Israelites in the promised land through their deliverance of Egypt the Israelites witnessed God's provision right his faithfulness his power his promises made to the ancestors all of which had come true and God continued to provide for their needs their food shoes that never wore out on their journey and more importantly his guiding presence 
when the Israelites reached the border of the promised land, Moses sent them in to spy off the land. And we know the story, right? Numbers 13. We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They couldn't imagine overcoming the odds that were stacked against them. Even though God had been faithful for so long, even though God's promises had every one come true, they found themselves fearful of what they saw. They allowed fear to keep them from resting in his continued provision in their lives. The same unchecked fear will eventually keep us from entering, keep them from entering the land that God had promised them for 40 years. Believers are faced in the same way between choosing between faith and fear on a regular basis. James 1.3 tells us that God tests our faith on purpose so that he can produce in us perseverance and maturity in Christ. The good news is that we don't have to combat fear alone. We're invited to cast our cares on God and promise that his perfect love casts out fear. As believers, we must recognize and remember that God's word and his promises when we are making decisions, his ways are higher than our ways. Our circumstances do not alter God's clear word. And we have his promises. We must stand by faith in who he is and who we are in him when we're making our daily decisions. Another thing that affects our decisions is disobedience. My father-in-law says this often, this quote, delayed obedience is disobedience. When we fail to immediately obey, we are in fact in dis- we are acting in disobedience. As believers, that means when scripture has spoken on an issue and we fail to make decisions based on the truth of scripture, we are walking in disobedience. Now in my house, this plays out something like this. As a parent, I say go and clean your room. The unnamed child, two hours later, playing on their phone. Why is your room not clean? Well, you didn't say when I had to go and clean it. (laughs) Delayed obedience is, in fact, disobedience. When God says something, he really does mean it. And as believers, he has spoken to us clearly through his word. We know what his expectations are of us. You know, in Genesis 19, we read the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just a few verses. In 15, the angels told Lot, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away with the punishment of the city. Verse 17, when he brought them outside, escape for your life. Do not look behind you or, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and and all of the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The Hebrew here for look back means more than glancing over her shoulder. It means to regard, to consider, and to pay attention to. The scriptures don't say whether her death was punishment for valuing her old life so much that she hesitated in obeying or if it was simply a consequence for her reluctance to leave her old life quickly. Either she identified too much with the city and joined it or she neglected to fully obey God's clear warning. Ephesians 2 verses 22 through 24 tells us a similar warning. To take off our old self that is ruled by sin and be renewed, putting on the new self that is in the likeness of God. Lot's wife wasn't able to accept that. What she chose to value in her heart led to sin and ultimately led to death. You know, another example of scripture we see is Jonah. 
Jonah is a very familiar story. God addressed Jonah and told him to go and preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, no, Jonah ran the opposite direction to Tarshish. We know the story. He got on the boat. The storm came. He got thrown over and eaten by a fish. And he had three days to consider his decision. And somewhere along those three days, he reluctantly agreed to go to Nineveh. So he was vomited out on the shore and given that opportunity. Delayed, even reluctantly, he obeyed and went to Nineveh. Still hoping for judgment to come against them rather than salvation. Let's be honest this morning. We know what God calls us to do. We do understand scripture. Many of us have been in church our whole lives and we know the life that he's called us to lead. And we've got to do that not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, not in our own time, but immediately saying, yes, I will follow you, Lord, because disobedience is sin. James 4, 17, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it is sin. Another thing that affects our decisions is power and pride. Look with me in 1 Kings chapter 12. When Solomon died and his son Rehoboam becomes king, Jeroboam spoke to Rehoboam saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us and we will serve you. Verse 6, King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then he spoke to them saying, If you will be a servant of this people today and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with the young men that he grew up with. Now his friend's advice, be more harsh than your father so that they will know that you are powerful, you are in charge. Verse 13, the king answered and spoke to the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him, and he spoke according to the advice of the young men. Rehoboam disregarded the advice of the elders in order to rule harshly so that he appeared stronger than his father. He wanted to, to appear to be the ruler, and we see his motive was pride. He wanted to be a powerful man. But you know, you and I see that crop up in our interpersonal relationships as well. Not on this level, hopefully, but we do struggle with who do, who do they think that they're in charge? Who are they to tell me what to do? Do they not know what my rights are? We have a lot in this, in this day that says our rights. We see this driving around in Mobile, right? It's very difficult sometimes to uh, show grace in, in traffic in Mobile. We see this when rule, schools give us rules that we don't agree with or we would do differently if we were in charge. We see this in lots of different ways. It creates conflict because somewhere along the way, our society has taught us that our opinion is more important than their opinion. And it becomes an us and them situation. And this creates conflict. We see children struggling with parents. We see wives struggling with husbands and vice versa. We see believers struggling with other believers because we feel like our needs and our opinions are more important than anyone else's. But what does God's word teach us? Philippians 2 tells us, Therefore, if if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, If any affection or compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interest of others. It isn't how powerful we are, but how humble we are that the Lord is looking for. Another thing that affects our decisions is our affections. We've seen this from the beginning of time. Adam and Eve were in the garden and everything was perfect. The Lord said you can eat from any tree that you want to except one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We know the story. For God knows 
that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, the serpent said, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate and she gave it also to her husband and he ate. They let their affections, they let their desires override the clear command from the Lord. We must be able to recognize what is from our fresh, fleshly nature. What is our motives in this decision? What is it that's drawing us to do something? And whether or not that is clearly defined in Scripture or not. If it's just our personal desires. We see the same thing in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some property and kept back part of the money for themselves. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? What happened? His greed. So many times we're warned in Scripture about the love of money. You know, another Bible character that we can learn from is David. Little shepherd boy David and the big Goliath. We we love the story of the little guy who stood up to the giant Goliath and he won against Goliath. But David lost against Bathsheba. What caused the one who had the faith to fight Goliath to lose in the situation with Bathsheba? His desire, his flesh. Now we've seen multiple things that can affect our decisions today. Busyness, distractions, fear, disobedience, power or pride our affections, but the one that I want to spend the most time on today is love or unity. You see, we read about that when Jesus was being arrested in John chapter 18, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. John 18, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had spoke these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of, the, of Kidron, where the garden was, and he entered with his disciples Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming to him, went forth and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing there with them. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go on their way to fulfill the word that was spoken of those whom you have given me. I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. The cup that the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Some of y'all know that there's a group of us that decided to read the New Testament over 90 days. And we'll end on Christmas Eve. And in our daily reading about a week or two ago... This verse just jumped off the page. This passage of scripture just just struck me. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. This was the passage of Judas betraying Christ. The details of his arrest and all that happened. Peter, being impetuous as he was, jumped up and fought for Jesus. He came to his defense and literally cut off the ear of one of the guards. Now this struck me when I was reading it that day because later on in the same chapter after Jesus had been arrested and taken away we find the rest of the story. Peter who had fought so defiantly for Jesus denied even knowing him three different times. I don't want to run too long after this but am I the only one in the room that identifies with Peter? That proclaims my love for Christ but at times fails to acknowledge him or his power or authority in my life. Remember John 13, Jesus got up from the, from the supper and began to wash the disciples' feet. In verse 5, it said he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with a towel which he was girded. 
And he came to Simon Peter and he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him and said, what I do you don't realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. The Peter who was astonished that Jesus would even wash his feet, the Peter who ultimately said, wash my hands and my feet as well, the Peter who defended Christ in the garden and cut off the guard's ear is the same Peter who denied even knowing him three times. How easy is it for us to be making decisions in our life with our own self-interest at heart without even realizing the spiritual consequences of what we're doing. We get so wrapped up in our own world, we get so wrapped up in our plans that we miss out on the fact that God has a say in how we live our lives. Look back with me in John 18, verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, Shall I not drink it? Jesus knew the cup that was being given to him. And his decision was, of course I'm going to drink it. How could I not obey the Father? And this stopped me in my tracks. Because how often do we go through our lives making decisions? How often do we get so swept away and we have to decide if we're going to obey Christ? But for Jesus, his, his answer to the Father was, yes, how could I not think about what doing what I'm supposed to do? Jesus knew the will of the Father. He and the Father were one. They were united at all times. John 10 tells us, about our relationship with him and his relationship with the Father. Look with me in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. That's a concept that's hard for us to imagine. But the Father and the Son were always on the same page. Always in agreement with one another. It reminds me of marriage. Marriage being a picture between the church and Christ. And how we are to be one. Mark 10 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. Married folks in this room, is it always easy to be on the exact same page with your spouse? Don't answer, Hannah. (laughs) Why is it difficult for us always to be one? Because we fail to always have the same purpose at all times. Because we fail to understand the importance of the other. We fail to love in the way that God the Father loved God the Son and God the Spirit. They were always together. You have to love so much that their needs and their feelings are more important than your needs and your feelings. And when we work that out in marriage, marriage does become easier. Marriage does become more like one. That is God's plan for our marriage. It is how we succeed in being like the Father we look close at the picture of Christ, we see this amazing picture of love and unity between him and the Father. Verse 11, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Jesus was being arrested and ultimately taken to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. Literally, the wrath of God was going to be poured out on him. Hebrews 12 tells us, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay down everything that is an encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to fix our eyes on the goal, not on our circumstances, not on the distractions, not on all of the fears, not on the, 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 the things of this world, but to set our eyes on him who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy set before him that caused him to embrace the cross? You and I. Purchasing us from our sin so that we might have this thriving relationship with him. And what was the cup that the father was giving him? Isaiah 53. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, the chastising of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned their own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Oh, to realize the love of Christ that he had for the Father. That caused him to be obedient. Obedient even unto death death on a cross in order to purchase you and I from our sinfulness and to offer us this amazing costly gift that we call salvation and after hearing this the question for you and I today is does that cause us to love him more knowing yes he's going to come in a manger yes he's going to live a perfect sinless life but his whole entire purpose was to go the cross so that we might enjoy the forgiveness of our sins And then this doesn't come a burden to follow these commands. It becomes a joy to make decisions that allow us to honor him. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, consider this book when you're making all of those daily decisions day by day by day. Matthew 10 says, And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Oh, that we may be lost for the world that we have and our plans and our hopes and our intent. May we lose our rights. May we yield ourselves and say, hear my Lord, what do you have for me? This day, may our daily decisions and, and, and our calendar and the busyness and the chaos and the distractions of this world just simply pale in comparison to the love that we have for the Father who sent the Son to purchase us so that we could enjoy Him forever. Jesus didn't live a busy, distracted, fearful disobedient, prideful life. He was tempted just like you and I, but he chose to live a holy life, not only because of his love for the Father, but for his love for you so that he could pay for your sins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you this day for your great love for us. Lord, that while we were yet still in sin, that you came and lived this perfect, sinless life. Lord, that for the joy set before you, you went to the cross, enduring its shame, so that you might provide a way for us to have this relationship with you. Lord, we acknowledge that day by day, our lives are busy. And we are distracted. Lord, we need your word and your spirit to help guide us. Lord, I pray that you would help us in the days and weeks and months to come. As we celebrate this month, the coming, the birth of Christ. May we keep in mind the purpose of your life. And Lord, may we respond in obedience, not reluctantly, but joyfully. As you said, how would I not obey? Lord, may we glorify you with our lives this day. In Christ's name we pray. 
you stand with me? We're going to have our time of response. If you want to come down and pray, you may do that. If you want to know more about how to have this relationship with Christ, there'll be pastors at the front that can talk to you. Don't leave this place without doing business with the Lord.